0: Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance
1: for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: In many countries, you're see, you're seeing core inflation being very sticky, even in countries where they raised interest rates way ahead of the Fed or the ECB. So if you look at Latin America, for instance, where they raised interest rates quite considerably very early on, you still have poor inflation to be
1: high. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. Well, if you've got a hefty mortgage, these are unhappy times. If you eat food, which I understand is still quite popular, prices are going up along with the price of, well, just about everything else. So, can we call it a crisis? It certainly feels more wide ranging than 2008 and certainly seems to be going on longer. And we don't have a clear idea of when or how it all ends. So, if it is a crisis, who do we blame? Well, last time it was easy. It was the financial sector. But can we blame it on them this time? Or are they a a victim this time with the rest of us, and if so, who got us in this mess? That's this week on the debunking Economics Podcast. So we had a crisis in two thousand and eight, and we've got a crisis now, and that the crises don't seem to be getting any smaller. At some point, we have to ask the question: How sustainable, really, is the current financial system? And how much of this crisis is really a crisis within the financial sector? that everyone else ends up paying for or is mm. this one is, is this one different and it's that old question as well if we keep on bailing out or making allowances for the financial mm. sector what's to stop them in whatever way taking risks and yeah. doing it all again because of course we have bailed out the financial sector this time around maybe not to the same extent as last time but certainly uh, the, the the bank of england for example stepped in to protect pension funds mm. when the price of bonds fell so sharply uh, that the the the, the, uh, the the collateral that was sitting in those pension funds was reduced markedly. Mm. So they are having to step in. And this is happening all the time. So you have to ask the question, why do we keep on stepping in and protecting the financial sector, we, which we, we ultimately all paying to protect this big, Vast network of financial institutions.
0: Yeah, and it's far too big and far too vast, and it should be far smaller. So we've been conned into believing that a financialized economy is a healthy economy, which is to use Michael Hudson's phrase, we're just saying an economy with a parasite is better with, when, when one without, without it. And what we've let the financial sector get far too big. Uh, dominate the economy, and uh, what really annoys me is seeing the extent to which this is often blamed on Keynesian economists. But if you read Keynes himself, um, he once made the comment that uh, when the development of an economy is based on is a side effect of the activities of a casino, the job is likely to be all done. Well, we've got casino capitalism these days, and I would I would rather see us deliberately reducing the size of the financial sector, not just bailing them out, which we really encourages the same old behaviour. Okay. But you know, nationalizing banks when they fail. What's um, the with The, bank, the National Royal Bank of Scotland. Scotland, yeah. okay, Which should have been you – know, you gave them a gigantic bailout and then let them run away with the money. Mm. There was no, no continuing ownership by the state when that happened. So we should be trying to reverse the financialization. Instead, we're keeping a parasite alive.
1: So, but we can't, I mean, the banks aren't collapsing now. We can't buy them up because they are institutions that uh, keep on going. Mm. Uh, And in fact, you know, if anything since 2008, I'm not really quite sure what we've learned because, I mean, the, uh, what was it, the Dodds-Frank Act, wasn't it, in the United States, Mm. where there's been attempts, you know, repeated attempts to try and, and the whole idea of that was to try and increase stability in the banking sector because things have been going so well. There's been repeated attempts to try and pull back Mm. on the extent of that legislation.
0: Yeah, uh because, you know, you you've got enormous power when you're uh, when you run a financial institution, you've, you've the power to create money. is an enormous power, and the trouble is most politicians, most and certainly most economists, don't realise that banks have that power. They see banks as just being intermediaries that transfer money from savers to borrowers, and therefore they think they're, a, uh, you know, they're a, an, a uh, introduction agency. I, I call it, it. Unfortunately, the joke's getting too old these days, but I call it the Ashley Madison theory of banking. <laughs> most people don't know anybody that actually matters and kids look it up on the web. Don't let, your parents, your membership don't let your parents know and for God's sake if it turns up on <laughs> your parents um, uh, website then don't tell the other parent. Okay, But this this is the whole vision they have of banking as being an introduction agency uh, not an originator and therefore they think that if we improve the flexibility of the financial system uh, we'll make the economy work better because uh, there'll be a lower cost of introducing savers to borrowers and you'll get more bang for your buck. The reality is the bank. Banks create money when they lend, and that is an enormous power that they use. And and that power is why they've got the ear of the of the politicians.
1: Right. So it's not an introduction agency. The banks are just self satisfying themselves. Aren't yeah. They? That's yeah. the yeah. So you don't need you don't need any agency for that. So uh, what well, <laughs> the um, I just one this time around though, it's not. Um, it's not the fault of the financial sector, is it? I mean, 2008. Is, you know, the 2008 was. Which you know, was pure and simple the uh, bank's over exuberance.
0: Absolutely. And then you know, there was a, a Ponzi scheme system. The entire financial sector was driven by the Ponzi scheme of the uh, uh, ninja loans in America. And uh, you know, collateralization, origination, all this stuff that. Uh, uh, what's her name? Yellen, I think. Janet Yellen. Uh, yeah, Yellen. Yeah. Uh, it, it, <laughs> One of my favorite cameos of of the the early 21st century is that she spoke at a uh, Levy Institute conference. Uh, And Levy Levy Institute is where Hyman Minsky... Did his final years of working. Yeah. I actually worked when, when I was in, I had Hyman's office when I was there. And this and is where she mentioned Minsky. She mentioned Mintz. She mentioned Mintz. Mm. She, well, no, she didn't mention Minsky. She gave a speech in, in a thing about 2005, I think, about how great it was to have all these new financial instruments, which are managing risk better. Mm. And there'll be less risk because of the uh, collateralized debt obligations and all the other ma- ma- magic super finance that occurred in the 2000 bubble. And then she came back a year or so later, give her credit at least for coming back again, and saying how she was, you know, had to really eat her words from the previous speech. Because rather than minimizing risk, they ex- yeah. dramatically increased risk. Yeah.
1: And she then well, they hit, it, hit it to an extent as well. Okay. They obfuscated risk. I mean, they yeah. hid it. yeah by placing something else on top of it basically. Yeah.
0: But the funny thing is she then had a like people say well she she quoted minsky.
1: Mm.
0: Well unlike most people I read the papers okay and I said I've never seen that paper by minsky before. So I went, where the hell is it? And it turned out to be, be some obscure paper uh, that you can locate non- unpublished in the archives of the Levy Institute. So what I imagine Yellen said was I need a quote from Minsky in my paper. Can you go find a paper for me that I can put in there and say I've read Minsky? And that's the sort of lip service they make
1: to alternative thought. Right. So if it's not the banker's fault this time around. And- well, it's the fault the financial sector is too big. I mean, yeah, we, we we should have. I mean, the. But I mean, but right now we are we we're facing a situation, and and is it I don't know. If it's right to call it a crisis that we're in right now. Not it's, not well. It,
0: it was we're building up to one, and this this is the uh, the whole thing oh, about bonds, the value of bonds <laughs> yeah. with rising interest rates. Yeah. Because
1: well, I mean, but that is the, that, that is this. I mean, you can can you blame banks for that? I mean, no, you, can, you can. Because this can is blame the safe f- f- Blame
0: b- the central banks Bank. for that, yeah. and you can blame the structure of the financial sector, which tells uh, this is laws. Passed by politicians, advised by neoclassical economists, where none of them understand how money actually works.
1: Right, because what- because bonds, though, just very quickly. I mean, yeah. they would you know have been sold on the basis that they are the safest yeah. safest investment you can make. Yeah, that's so right. a good argument for government debt is that government debt gets issued into bonds. That is a financial instrument that everyone can rely on as being something which is relatively stable. So when you're in an unstable environment, if there's government bonds around buy them because your money's going to be yeah. safe. But
0: the trouble is, and you've worked this out yourself, I think, that if you get down to the stage where rates are pretty close to zero, yeah. and you're issuing bonds with like a 1% coupon yield, and if let's say that bond's a 100-year bond, just to make it
1: yeah. easy, yeah.
0: Um, then if you then have rates go up to 2%, that bond goes from being worth pretty much a $1,000 to pretty much 500 yeah, and you destroy the value of your assets, and that's what causes SVB and other banks to go bankrupt. So Bonds are a safe asset as long as interest rates are falling.
1: Yeah. So the question is then, in that situation, should we have supported those banks or should we have let those banks collapse? Well, I, have,
0: I believe we should have supported them right. okay, because this is a mistake by the, by the central bank managers. Yeah. And the whole idea that the government... By putting up interest rates too by much. By putting up rates and not being aware of the impact that it will have on the asset side of the banking sector. And, uh, and this, but
1: how can they not? Because how, that, how can they, because not? they because,
0: don't think... Because <laughs> that,
1: because you explained in one sentence there. You know, if you buy cheap, and we know they've been low, yeah, uh, that they that, that their value uh, will be relatively high, and then when you uh, when you when you raise interest rates and you double the interest rate, and of course they're more than double, then yeah. the, the value is going to halve. But
0: this I mean. is this, this again is because of a regime of low interest rates. Then that means the the portfolio of bonds you have in the overall financial system over time will have a lower and lower coupon rate, mm. and that therefore means it's quite like if you, if, you, if you then you can do quite easy to double interest rates because if you're down to a level where rates are two percent, getting to four percent isn't all that much of a change. Yeah. But if you had rates back which were quite, it's in the, the mix
1: of bonds. Yeah. Well, if you go back <laughs> to the
0: I, '70s and '80s when interest rates were as high as 20, close to 20 percent. You weren't going to go to a 40 percent interest rate. Okay. Mm. So the change. Uh, uh, the, even though the changes were bigger, like you have a one back in those days the, the, in the 70s, when the central bank meant they'd make a one one percent change in the rate rather than zero point two five percent change. But that was one percent compared to twenty. Now you've got zero point two five compared to one. So the, the the impact of the change in rates now is much more destructive of the value of bonds than it was back in the 70s and 80s. And if anybody deserves the blame for this, it's the central banks, not the private banks.
1: So – and, of course, the big problem was as well that we saw a lot of new uh, players in the financial sector, mm. which you might say is a good thing because, I mean, it, it needs a bit of an overhaul. But but some of these banks are new. They were buying – they didn't have that mix of old bonds, mm. long-duration bonds, because they went around. Yeah. Well, so, gee, they, what, so they are so being buying – so they ha- had a lot of recent bond or, acquisitions at the time when they were very low. Yeah. And they weren't they went watered down by bond holdings from – 10 or 15 years ago for example yeah so that's why they were hit hard
0: yeah and uh, and also like what tends to happen with the, the, when the bonds are first of all when the government runs it runs a fiat i'm going to call it a fiat from now on by the way i that annoys people i'm terribly sorry uh when the government spends more than it takes back in taxation it creates that amount of fiat money okay yeah deposits have gone up uh, by the amount of the Surplus of spending over taxation, that then means that exactly the same amount of money is created in the reserve accounts of the banks. Now, uh, the, what the, the government is required to do by law—not at all required by by practice—it's not allowed us to. It's required to maintain its balance at the central bank, is non-negative, positive balance at the at the central bank. So, it's the bonds are sold to maintain that positive balance. Now. It could equally sell those bonds directly to the central bank. Okay? There's no reason why it has to be sold to the private banks. That's required by law. And that it was a nice little learner for the banks when you look at it in, with mm. a stable interest rate. Because when the when the, gov- the government ran, say, a deficit of, let's say, American the American numbers, a trillion dollar deficit, uh, that meant a trillion dollars of bonds were issued, let's say, they were yielding three percent with the sort of the stable 50s and 60s days that's 30 billion dollars a year coming in as income for the for the banking sector out of that particular issue of bonds now that um is a nice little owner it pays sort of pays for the cost of the financial system to some extent for them and it was stable mm. but now um uh, now with with the rates being pushed up they're getting more for the new bonds that are being issued but the old ones are dropping dramatically in value that didn't affect most banks because what the banks tend to do is when they've bought the bonds off the treasury they then sell them to non-fine bank financial institutions so they reduced their holdings. That that reduces their deposits because the non-bank financial institutions hold their money and, in a bank account, and it reduced their liabilities as well. The value of the bonds went down. So they weren't particularly directly affected, mainly at the non-bank financial institutions. SVB was different because it had a large proportion of its assets in bonds. And frankly, it was operating like textbook economists think banks should operate as a conduit for savers and borrowers. It... Uh, it was largely making his money out of deposits rather than out of loans. Um, so it's it's ironic that this a bank that was in one sense being conservative is one of the first ones to go under. Most of the most of the instabilities occurring in the non bank financial institutions.
1: Now there are MMTs and we talked about about one a little last week who hmm. see that you know we're not really in a crisis because interest rates are going up, but you know. Uh, even though they're going up in the U.S., there's, there's still jobs, lots of jobs people are spending, mm-hmm. wages are going up, housing construction is, is on the up. Uh, things are going well. Where's the crisis?
0: Relatively, and, and, because America uh, has still got a large fiscal stimulus. I mean, it is, it's intriguing when you compare... Um, Europe to America right now. Uh, most of the European countries, because of the Maastricht Treaty, are imposing strong restrictions on government spending right now. So, if you look at the change in government spending, it's actually negative. Uh, whereas the uh, uh, America is still running a fairly large fiscal. Stimulus. So you've got a fiscal stimulus coming out of government spending, and you've also got uh, at at the margin new bonds being issued with higher rates, which is stimulating the financial sector. They're very willing to buy the, the the bonds are giving a higher yield than they were getting from the old bonds. The danger is the value of those old bonds.
1: Right, but those new ones, so the more, and th- I think this is the argument that, uh, so Douglas MMT, yep. I, I don't know what his surname is, unless his surname is MMT, so no wonder he's interested <laughs> in modern monetary theory. Uh, so his argument is, yes, higher interest rates put more money into the private sector because of the a- additional interest income. On that the new bonds, they do. On the new bonds. On, they the, they new bonds. On
0: yeah. the old bonds, they can't. Yeah. Okay. Unless the so bonds are actually to... inflation inflation hedge bonds, then they
1: can. But most right. of them are not. Um, so if you flood the market with a whole load of new bonds at higher interest rates, mm. then you're pump those the the interest being paid is money that is being pumped into the economy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The negative side, and there's this the negative income, side
1: of that is, so as you push interest rates up, no one you're can afford their down, house anymore.
0: Well, you're also driving down the value of existing bonds. Yeah. And that's that's the the side that has made bonds have gone from a safe asset to a dangerous one. Yeah. And that's not exactly
1: the role of bonds. Right, and you're never going to issue as many bonds So it's going to counterbalance the amount of bonds that are already in circulation. Yeah, well, they're, so they're, they're,
0: it... they're, they're, like even if you want, like, it, depends, it depends on the scale of spending. If you have... So he's if, wrong if, in that case.
1: It's, I mean, it's, I, mean, he, I don't think
0: he's looking enough at the other side of the... Right. Of the, of the, of the, okay, the amount of money being pumped into the financial sector through high interest rates on those bonds is substantial. But if you look at the... the, the, the government, I think the government deficit, the government debt in America outstanding bonds, is about 100% of GDP. Um, The deficit actually hit about 25% of GDP during COVID. So if you're issuing that many bonds and that higher interest rates, then it's quite possible the higher rates on those new bonds could compensate uh, for, for for the lower value of the bonds not the lower return. The returns remain constant for the old bonds, but the lower value of the bonds on your books. Uh, you, so you're you, you squeezed
1: by a, a drop in your asset values, but you benefit by a higher cash flow. So where to from here? We'll look at that in just a second. We're going to take a break. But, mm-hmm. yeah, what should central banks be doing now uh, in particular? What should governments be mm-hmm. doing now? Uh, and, uh, yeah, and how do, how do we get out of where we are mm-hmm. right now as mm-hmm. well? More on that in just a second on the Debunking Economics podcast. It's me and Steve Keane. We'll see you in a second. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So we're looking at, uh, yes, another financial crisis, supposedly, although obviously not as bad as the 2008 mm. financial crisis, unless you've got a hefty mortgage, in which case it could be quite a disaster when you have to uh, go for your next uh, next fixed-term mortgage. Uh, but the financial sector... Are they doing badly out of this? They seem to be able to weather the storm. The only issue that we've been talking about is if they've got a, a lot of bonds that have lost value. Yeah, that's because of that's a dangerous rates. one
0: for them. But I mean, the, the amount of extra borrowing that occurred from the private sector during COVID was... Uh, surprise me I've got to say Um, and what you've got is people um, with additional money coming in through the fiscal stimulus may well have decided to go and use that to buy into the property market Mm. and you get that continued bubble in property which I've despaired of ever seeing it Getting driven out of the out of the economy, this bubble the system we're still in. Well,
1: it's always there. So in the United States, yeah. where where interest rates, because they all tend to buy on thirty year fixed Six-rate mortgages, mortgages,
0: yeah, thirty years, not the three and three and five. Yeah. you're doing over here,
1: and they it just took them to go down a, a, a few points, like down to from six point three to six point one, for example, mm. for a month, and all of a sudden sales shot up mm. because people just edged in there because they thought the situation was improving Mm -hmm. you would have thought everyone would be going oh it's still way too high it's 30 years I'll leave it a couple of years Mm -hmm. Uh, but such is the desire to get into the property market people obviously people felt well I'll get in now because when they come down the value of the property will have increased so much,
0: yeah and, we're, yeah, and we've still got that same mentality of a, a that bubble fear, economy. Of miss-
1: fear of missing out. Isn't yeah, it?
0: so I mean, by 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 saving the financial sector from itself, we've continued this Ponzi behaviour, and that's the thing I, w- I want to get away from. Uh, you know, if you look at uh, Schumpeter's justification for private banking, it was that private banking provides money to entrepreneurs. And unfortunately it provides money to Ponzi schemers, whether you know you want or not. Because largely that's what the property lobby is, property sector is all about. It's not rising productivity, it's rising prices of assets. And that's what Bank lending is mainly financing. And back to Keynes again, it's a bad way to run the economy when it's being run on the
1: side effects of the operations of a casino. So the the, the effect of all of the, this year mm. uh, and the year that's gone before it, but particularly this year as interest rates starts to go up, mm. is that as our incomes start to recover post-COVID and you know we've been fighting for pay increases so we can keep up with the rate of inflation, mm. we are just spending an increasing proportion of the money that we earn going into the finance sector now Mm. because it's going on our mortgage. Yep. Uh, So less money for us to spend on goods and services, which is what would boost the economy and get the economy back on track.
0: Yeah. And, uh, well, I I think the ultimate thing is we're going to have to put uh, huge resources into repairing the environment. That's my ultimate, uh, ultimate concern. We're not at all ready for what the environment's going to throw at the financial sector. Uh, And and this is the scary thing that we're frittering our (laughs) our capacities away on rising house prices uh, when it's – this is being facetious – but it's rising tides that we should be worrying more about.
1: Mm. Yeah, uh, well, maybe the banking sector should be the ones who tackle that because they're the only ones who've got any money now because we've given it to them for yeah, a while. look
0: at the expertise they've got. I mean, those <laughs> those screen jockeys <laughs> can obviously manufacture a carbon dioxide removal system.
1: Well, they're good with numbers. Well, they could suppose.
0: hold their breath. That'd help.
1: Yeah, well, you know. Sorry, perhaps. guys. Uh, so uh, I would t- the other side of the equation is obviously is what governments do as well. So, I mean, there's a temptation, isn't there, when when people are struggling because they can't afford to pay their mortgage. Mm-hmm. I mean, the government stepped in during covid because people couldn't afford to survive um but i mean government stimulus in any form if they were for example to say well okay uh, if you are really struggling with a mortgage we will give you some form of subsidy or loan or whatever so that you can pay the banking sector i mean that's just making the situation worse because it's propping up the banking sector and it's yeah, putting I mean, more money into the economy as well, which is probably not what we want to do now. Well, that,
0: that's one reason I've been arguing for modern debt, jubilee for all these years, mm. that we should use the government's money creation capacity not to encourage people into debt, not to keep house prices high, but to to reduce the level of private debt and bring house prices back down again to go within reach of uh, of incomes, because what one one common thing we can see across the whole planet virtually is uh, unaffordable housing. Yeah. And that for both renters and mortgageers. Now would be
1: the time to do it, wouldn't it? Of course, but we're a long way from thinking that way. It won't happen because we. I mean, isn't it interesting how we actually do just assume that uh, the Bank of England and other central banks know exactly what they're they're doing? Both sides of politics, uh, the mainstream Mm. media—it's just uh, yes, the only way out of this now is to push up interest rates for us all to suffer, to feel the hurt, Mm. uh, so we stop buying stuff. Uh, And yet, at the same time, this curious. Question mark over? Well, will we have a recession? Mm, it's like, mm. oh, we don't want to have a recession, but we do want to feel the hurt. We want to cut demand, but we don't want to cut demand to such a point where we're buying less. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it's obvious you're going to have a recession. No, back in parts the,
0: of the parts of the Caribbean. Yeah, fantasy rules. Yeah. So um, – and then, and that's the, the great – and I've just – frankly, I've given up on escaping from fantasy. Uh, giving Ben Bernanke the Nobel Prize ha-ha, uh, last year for his work on banking was just a, a sign of how little the uh, economics profession is capable of reforming itself. So we have myths everywhere managing the economy based on myths and ignoring the main reality which is uh, an approaching energy and resources crunch
1: well it's interesting then it, considering you know they keep on talking about equilibrium and you wonder how much of the disequilibrium that we see is actually brought about by the financial finance oh, absolutely
0: yeah a huge amount I mean uh, and like this my own you know, models of financial uh, the, the, the economy is the financial system um, it's the, the more debt you have created the more private debt, the more unstable the system is so rather than being at equal... Equilibrium, which every second word coming out of the neoclassical mouth, and I presume the other end of the body as well, is equilibrium, you know, and it, that's anything but the system we're in. Mm. So this fixation, obsession on modeling the economy as if it's in equilibrium is what's a major core source of the disequilibrium the economy is actually in. Right.
1: So things are moving faster as a result of it. So, yeah. We,
0: yeah. so well, they've, allowed, they've allowed far more private debt creation than would ever have been allowed if you actually understood monetary dynamics. I mean, uh, the, we're so far from what was called the golden age of capitalism that I've got to actually remind people that, that that's what the 50s and 60s were described as. And the defining feature of the 50s and 60s was the low level of private debt. And the we at a low level of private debt was we went through the Great Depression and the Second World War, uh, caused by letting the financial sector get out of control. You can literally argue that the bubble of the 1920s was a major reason for the depression of the 1930s, which was a major reason for the war of the 1940s. Okay. But after all that process, you ended up with the lowest, one of the lowest levels of private debt in American capitalism history and certainly lowest in, in the UK and much of the Western world. And that low level of debt meant that people could spend money comfortably. You had a high rate of turnover of money uh, and, and low servicing costs for finance and ever since then it's been an upward trend and we've we've now got to the point where we believe we've got to keep the financial parasite alive it's what's causing most of the instability
1: and then income disparity is part and parcel of all of this isn't it and it is yeah, getting yeah. much much worse so and you know by by a number of factors so on the one side uh, obviously, you've got rising interest rates, so they're hitting people with a mortgage mm. versus those people who haven't got a mortgage who are benefiting from mm. from higher interest rates. And those people who are renting are having to pay higher rent because they're, mm. the mortgage holder who owns the property is going to have to pass those costs on. Mm. So you've got that on the one side on the other side the government is so fearful about running into further debt because it doesn't want to see its the money supply increase if that's the reason or just they feel mm. like they've got to balance their books uh, so they are uh, trying to claw back money through higher taxation or at the very least by not moving the, the, the levels at which various levels of tax kick t- mm. in the, by keeping, keeping the thresholds stuck where they are for years so mm. that means that lower income earners end up paying more tax as well yep. so you've got this situation where uh, everyone has more outgoings in terms of uh, of paying off their mortgage they're not seeing their, their their salaries increase in line with the high rate of inflation yeah and they're the, getting taxed more yeah, the, i mean the, there's three things happening there yeah. which are do, abs- substantially reducing your your spending power yeah and the best way to
0: solve it would be a reduced level of private debt which, I mean, I've argued with a, what I call a modern debt jubilee, could be done by using a government's money creation capability to give everybody the same amount of money, you and me and Rupert Murdoch, same amount of money, and those in debt have to pay their debt down, those that don't aren't in debt depending on whether you want to simulate demand or not, could either have money to spend in the, to the consumer sector or they would get bonds of equivalent value. Um, and you would then reduce the private debt burden, and that itself would do a lot to reduce the income disparity as well and mean people can spend the money they have without – the fear of having to hang on to it to pay their debts, which we've we right would have got right now. we'd
1: all go if you did that right now. Though we'd all go spending crazy, and inflation really would go. And that's through why those. you've got to
0: have the potential for using giving people bonds. Uh, if they if they don't have debt to pay down, they get bonds instead. So they're going to, you don't have to give them the entire. There are ways to manage it. Depending, well, but on You'd
1: what... cash your bonds in uh, to buy stuff. Right? Huh? You'd cash your bonds in, though, to buy stuff, wouldn't you? That's well,
0: the... you know, you can, you know, cashable bonds is another issue. Bond, bonds are a creature of, of the law that passes them. We have bonds which give you a fixed coupon rate. Hmm. We have bonds which have got uh, inflation-adjusted coupon rate. We have bonds which are six months. We have bonds which are 30 years. Okay, You can design bonds for a particular... Purpose. You could have bonds that are sold directly to the central bank. Okay, so the it, it is a choice of it's it's a flexible instrument uh, which can be used for far more purposes than currently being done by the current banking system.
1: But what would that do to the money supply? That would substantially increase the money supply, wouldn't it? Well yes okay uh,
0: but what if you the large part of it would be paying down private debt okay so the the predominant target of a modern debt jubilee would be a reduced level of private debt so you're reducing the debt you're also reducing the liabilities at the same time, so um, it's not a huge. So the, but when yeah. for
1: that element of debt, that's cancelling each other out, then isn't that? Not yeah. Well, you, money you, because you're you you would have
0: it. an injection which ends up in your reserves. It was used to pay down your private debt. Right. Okay. So that would be an asset swap. It would not for the banking sector. It wouldn't be. So that wouldn't increase the money supply. No, because, you, because, you, because, yeah, because the extra money going to the to the private sector, on condition that they pay their debt down, right. means that the. Uh, that rather than that boosting the money supply, it reduces. It, it, does, it makes an asset swap on the banking sector side from bonds to reserves, so from, the, from so loans to
1: reserves. So the yeah, okay. So the mon- so the money supply increase comes from those people who didn't have debt.
0: Yeah, yeah. You're giving, them and then in that case, you could require them to have uh, have bonds, which could be long, long lasting, you no know, non saleable bonds or uh, bonds which can be swapped but can't be sold, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There there are ways to set this up. Uh, If we actually had the power to implement the policy, it wouldn't have to be causing a massive unexpected increase in the money supply.
1: Right. But but the wealth effect out of all of this, we'd all feel that much better off, wouldn't we, that we would if you did it right now, we would increase our spending.
0: Potentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I model it, I do get a boost in spending. But I also like, you know, when I do a, a Minsky model of a, a, a modern debt jubilee. What I get is a dramatic increase in government debt at the same time as dramatic fall in private debt and then an increased rate of turnover of money, be- largely because more money is turning up in the hands of the working class than in the hands of the rich and the whole dynamic. So mm-hmm. you get an increase in the spending rate, not by any change in behaviour, but a change in the, the distribution of money.
1: Right. So that income disparity issue starts then, to move away, but
0: then the debt level falls, both private and public, because you have more economic activity. Now again, we're stuck with we're living in a world where you don't want more economic activity, in terms of climate change. But you know, for, why, why, the fact we're having so many crises that once I can again blame on the economics profession.
1: Yeah, but I mean, we. But how do we get around that? Because if we do do that, I mean, you, you, the, the ultimate effect is yes, and an increase in activity.
0: Mm, well, we I don't
1: mean, want an increase in activity. We've well, not we, got. We, we, we,
0: we, we don't.
1: We we don't. <laughs> we we actually want people to consume less. So we,
0: well, we, we, we can consume less. We, all, we can't only, consume less. Yeah, that's okay. right. I was going to it's, say we, we it comes gets down back to, back to, to the income distribution. distribution. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. So, I mean, it's, this is one of the little weird things in my Minsky model as well. When I first modeled Minsky's financial instability hypothesis, I expected that a higher rate level of debt would mean a lower level of profit. Yeah. Okay. And what in fact, in terms of a higher level of debt meant a lower level of wages. There was was a quite remarkable outcome of the mathematical model, and it's empirically turned up as well. Higher levels of private debt end up being a lower share going to workers, lower share of income. So if you reduce the level of debt, you're going to increase the income share going to workers and reduce the amount
1: going to capitalists and and property owners. I still wonder whether you can just fix this with tax, with a more effective tax. So if you were there saying, well, okay, we, we need to tax the rich more, and, okay, there's always workarounds. I'll, I'll go
0: to the Caribbean and track them down, first of all. Yeah, well, okay. Well, okay and but then ta- depending on how much you pay me and how much
1: they well, decide if to got, pay if me back. Got, if they've got a nice house in Hampshire, let's start by taxing that. Well, I that's mean, one of the
0: reasons people give for land tax. Yeah, uh, yeah. The thing is, because I mean, it's there. Have you, you can seen, see it. Have you seen you just the advertisements? Get, you just get
1: Google out and tax according to Google Maps. Seen,
0: have you seen uh, Dubai's advertisements for move to Dubai and avoid tax? No. Okay. Like the the extent to which the rich can avoid income tax is just ridiculous. So my whole I I'm afraid I'm quite a skeptic about the capacity to use the tax system to target
1: wealth distribution um well maybe america's got the right idea i mean i i i I'm appalled by it because my wife's an american citizen and uh, mm. even though she's never lived there since she was a kid mm. uh, and she has to fill in tax returns even though she doesn't earn any money in america you know goes mm. goes there on work trips occasionally uh but america is one of those two countries in the world where they'll tax your income irrespective of where you live uh, that's their way around it You know, maybe every country should do the same. You know, if you're a citizen of this country, you are going to have to pay tax.
0: And you wonder why people turn into libertarians.
1: (laughs) I can see their point, actually. Oh, God, that's
0: the thing. And this is a point. Like, we we get so used to current institutions that we think they've always existed. Mm. Income tax... I think only started coming in in the aftermath of the First World War, Mm. okay, Uh, because before then governments were of the order of 5%, no more than 10% of the the economy, and they would... if, they, if their revenues would come out of, well, now they can create money. That's, that's, I'm not going to deny that point, obviously. But their taxation revenue is mainly imposed upon imports, import duties and stuff like that. So the whole idea of governments being the scale they are now was something came out of the Great Depression and the Second World War. And then in that situation, you've got to take the money they've created out of circulation again. But doing it through income tax is possibly the worst way to do it.
1: All right, we've moved a bit all over the place today, haven't we? I mean, I started by asking the question, is this another crisis that uh, we all end up paying the financial sector for? Uh, and uh, it, it does seem, doesn't it, that uh, the answer to that is probably yes, for different reasons this time around. Mm. But the winners, even though banks have had a, a hard time in, in terms of uh, you know the, the fact that they've had this big devaluation in their mm. bond holdings... Mm they would be doing all right through this crisis and we are ending up paying them more through higher interest rates. So they win again.
0: The Parasite's doing well. Mm. Thank God.
1: (laughs) Particularly if you're a parasite. Maybe you should try it. All right. That's it for this week. Catch you next time. Bye. The Debunking Economics Podcast.